Striking while the iron's hot to be your authoritative voice for New Mexico soccer. Welcome to We Are Seek and Strike podcast. Sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Brought to you by Beautiful Game Network. Find us on the web at seekandstrikecollective.com. into a preview against our home away from home match uh, against Colorado Springs and with me tonight I have my co-host Chris. Chris how are you doing tonight? Man this is how good I'm doing tonight. <laughs> for, for those of you listening to that sound that is a sound of a beer popping because of New Mexico United becoming playoff bound which we'll get more into so there's a little bit of excitement here. Yeah, I can see everything was changed on Twitter. Even your name there, Chris. It's a, it's not even Chris a Walker anymore or your your Twitter handle on there. Yeah, man. It's X playoff bound. We gotta we gotta throw the X's we gotta throw the X's on there. You know what I mean? Like it's it's time. Like uh, in fact in fact even you got one too. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I do. You know, uh, I bet you're excited after what happened with your Clippers, right? Oh yeah, especially you know when when you're why you gotta remind me when your team loses the night before, you hope that another one of your teams can clinch the playoffs, and that's so great. We didn't have to wait till Saturday. So awesome. Yeah, it's definitely something really exciting, and you know, unfortunately, Unfortunately, after tonight, after tonight, another game, we're sitting at second place on the table, which we'll get into later. But, you know, we clinched playoffs and we weren't struggling for points like we were last season. Yeah, it's great that we don't have to necessarily wait uh, for other pictures to happen. I know before tonight, there was this sort of thought that we would need to win on Saturday to secure our playoff spot. And I, and I think really across the USL, um, you know, people were really fast on El Paso if they won and Real Monarchs lost, that that would help them clinch. But I don't think they thought about us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I feel like when you're more at the bottom of the table, they're more worried about clinching playoffs. Like we were last season. I believe we were sitting around like, I believe it was like seventh on the table I can't remember but we were also relying on other teams to try and get in we were relying on uh, the switchbacks to beat San Antonio and we also needed to beat Las Vegas Lights so you know it was it was something very different this year for sure saying and knowing that we play only I think three other teams four times each yeah, definitely. Last year, we were definitely 
uh, sort of struggling um, to get into a good position. We um, we were sitting, like you said, seventh, but slowly but surely the table was changing as teams were playing matches and we were falling further down. Um, I think we were like kind of in a 10th spot and, uh, you know, at some point, and we were really looking for a number of possibilities. If you remember, we needed certain teams to win and lose and draw. And it was just, we were just at the mercy of other teams. Yeah, we were. And it was, it was difficult and we ended up losing the first round of the playoffs, but you know, Anything can happen this season, and hopefully, you know, we make it either to the semi-Western Conference Final or the Western Conference Final itself. Yeah, you got to think that the fan base is extremely happy tonight. I know I hit refresh on the USL Championship page at least 10 times after the match with uh, Real Monarchs was over because I wasn't seeing the little X show up next to New Mexico. And I thought, okay, I know my math is on. I mean, I did it like three or four times on my cell phone. And and, and to, the, to this point, uh, the announcer, Landon Southwick, shout out to Landon. Um, he was announced, he was talking about how if Monarchs lost, El Paso um, would clinch. And I sent him a text and I said, check my math, but I think New Mexico would clinch too. And then like, a couple minutes later, he's like, he's like, uh, your math is right. Uh, yeah, New Mexico could also clinch. Shout out to our friends below for the, the help. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was definitely an exciting night. And it's just, it's exciting tonight. And then everyone's excited for Saturday. I'm sure you are. Yeah, I mean, look, going into a match and not having to worry about whether or not the team wins or loses to determine playoffs. That's like one weight off the shoulder. Um, the thing I am actually kind of excited about is that originally I was going to be sitting in the crowd with the curse. And so I was going to be able to kind of enjoy kind of a fan vantage point. Um, and this just because, you know, like, you know, typically for us media, we don't have a lot of passes. And so we want to make sure that, you know, we can get those out to, to our folks. So we, we had gotten those out to our photographers and I was like, okay, well, cool. I'll just sit in the stands, you know? And then of course, you know, I get a call today, like, Hey, like we got an extra one for you. So now I'll be able to sit kind of field access. So hopefully I'm in a spot where it's shady and not sunny, but you know, the real is the reality of that is that it's going to be sun beaten on my face. I'm going to have to make sure I take a nice hat or something. I can like, maybe I'll be wearing a hat that Cody needs to wear or something crazy. Right. I know everyone's going to probably have hats for Cody after last season. He wore the curse <laughs> hat. <laughs> but, right. hey, yeah, maybe I'll be rocking my history hat on Saturday, too. Oh, yeah, that's a good call right there. I don't have one of those. Did you end up buying one of those after the season, or were you lucky enough to get one of them when they were handing out those exclusive ones that night? Man, I wish I was that lucky enough to get one, but no, I actually got it as a birthday gift with the history long sleeve, and that was like the best birthday gift ever, so yeah. Yeah, man, you, I mean, obviously United got great merch. I mean, this isn't even trying to be a plug to their merch, but I mean, it is actually pretty chill, I have to say. It's gotten better um, over time. I think they've, I think just having more creative people there, you know, as the team is getting really uh, 
romanced with our um, art with artists so to say mm-hmm. um, really intermingling I should say like romancing I guess it's the same but romancing with artists it's really just created uh, more merch and I mean on top of that I mean they need to hit you up because you've been pumping out some canvases like looking all sick with that artwork oh yeah I did too I did the regular United Shields with the black and yellow and then we were supposed to have Meow Wolf Night or the Art and Sport Night and I I love the Snaggy Shield so I thought I'd do that with some neon colors with the Meow Wolf colors and you know I'm still waiting for that night I'm really excited for that and hopefully it's here soon because I've also been doing some tie-dye shirts with black and yellow and I and I also read that they were gonna do uh, sell the tie-dye kits with the United T-shirts and I'm like that is so up my alley right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I was actually just thinking about it here moments ago. Um, as I was titling the show, I was thinking, man, I need to get some bleach and uh, and get some black shirts that I like to wear and just kind of do a nice little bleach job. And, and, and then, you know, create, I got, I got an idea for us, but I got to create something. But I just thought, yeah, you know, like definitely hot on that trail. And, you know, man, I'm thinking that like you might have to paint up some extras so we can kind of raffle them off because but definitely the hands are reaching for those paintings. Man, I was not expecting the response that I got. I just thought, you know, it was something something I wanted to do and I had in mind. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it and just see what any everyone thinks about him. You know, maybe it's not going to get as much love. It's like, oh, it's another painting. But after I got that response, it like, made me like get my creative juices flowing and now I want to do these other shields that I have in mind and especially today on the 16th of September it's the day of independence of Mexico and I love that shield that they put out today and Chris you gave me the idea to do it so I'm I'm really thinking about doing that one next yeah you gotta definitely do that one that's like that's that's hip right there for sure and I think you got to do a playoff bound one, to be honest, because, uh, you know, this is not a play-in round. This is legit playoffs. You know what? I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to think some ideas through tonight and see if I can get it done. That's, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, I'm thinking you got to do it. Yeah, definitely. Shall we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so... Um, so obviously we're talking about United's last match against Real Monarchs. Um, and of course, you know, the outcome of that match, uh, 2-0 win for your United. Uh, we wanted to obviously kind of get into it, kind of break down some details, some things we watched, um, you know, and kind of have, you know, have some, some strong talk on it. And, uh, you know, so do you want to take the first one, Alicia? We can kick us off. Oh, man, I don't have the outline on me. All good. All good. I'll run us. I'll run us through there. All right. All good. So first things first, Amando Moreno has been flawless the last eight weeks or last eight matches. He's had uh, four goals, four assists. He comes out with the blonde hair. And it was the first thing I noticed. I was like, oh, man, oh, man, Amando has got the blonde drip going again. And we haven't seen that since the scrimmage week, I believe. So, 
I mean, did you have any like first reactions when you saw him come out in that like in that blonde? Yeah, my first reaction was like, "Whoa, look, he has blonde hair!" Like I told uh, Raphael, he was sitting next to me. I was like, "Look, Amando has blonde hair again!" And he's like, "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah, he does." And you know, it was weird to see it because we were like used to him having his dark roots and the and the blonde at the end. But you know, if he can pull it off, I mean, do it. Go, um, all you. I'm kind of wondering, honestly, like if, you know, because we know he went to Dark Roots, like you said, and I'm kind of wondering if there was a point when he was like, you know what, I need something, I need something. He's been he's been scoring goals, he's been assisting goals. I wonder if he was like, I need I need the blonde drip. Kind of goes to the the closet, kind of opens up the doors a little bit reaches in, grabs the bleach. He's like, hello, old friend. And then sets it up. His wife ultimately just gets the foil and they kind of go, okay, let's get this going. And it's almost like this sequence of like Batman throwing away his suit. And then, you know, all of a sudden he decides, you know what? The city needs me. Comes out of his, his like his pride, his pride or his whatever it was where he threw away that identity comes back in is like, all right, let me put on my old suit again. Let me get this flex. You know, I wonder if it was something like that. Mm, maybe. Who knows? But maybe he, ever since his roots grew in, he was probably just, you know, thinking about redying it. And he said, you know, it's time. It, it's just time to do it. And he was just sick of the old look. Yeah, I think he's going to find some 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 newfound fortune i think people are going to be hot on the blonde blonde hair and and you're going to see all kinds of nicknames come off of it uh in today's press conference he did say that you know it was just kind of time to to re-dye it more or less and uh you know and it, it, it kind of rolled into a joke uh because you know this was like towards the latter part of the press conference but it was like you know, here's Amondo scoring two goals. It's the blonde, the blonde hair, you know, and um, Andy Hageman is like, well, um, if you're going to keep doing that, you know, then we're going to have to make sure that you keep that hair blonde. And, and ultimately, uh, somehow it comes out that they're asking Troy, like, hey, Troy, like, uh, you know, if Amondo keeps scoring these goals like this, are you going to dye your hair blonde? And Troy answers and he says, uh, you know, he's like, you know, if, if he keeps scoring goals like that, and I think it was two goals, um, you know, possibly it was two goals a, a game. He says, he's like, I will do that. And uh, and then we're trying to get him to say, like, well, how many games is it going to take uh, for us to see this? And uh, and Troy, Troy, you know, dodged it as, as Troy would. Uh, but uh, he is on record for saying that he would dye his hair. So I think that... Uh, you know, we could very well see Troy Lassane, uh sitting down, getting the foil job at some point. <laughs> you know, that would be pretty funny if we see Troy dye his hair. I just, I can't see it right now, but it would just be hilarious if he were to do that. Yeah, I think if one of our listeners listened to this pod, if you guys can kind of simulate uh, Troy with uh, Amondo's blonde hair and send it to us, that'd be awesome because... You know, I was trying to think about it too. It was like, yeah, who would he look like? You know what I mean? And uh, 
And uh, I mean, cause like, I already have this, I already have this thought like that Troy sometimes reminds me of Tom Cruise because he's just so stout and, you know, and Tom Cruise is like kind of the same kind of way, um, you know, as far as the way that he just kind of introduces himself onto the scene. So uh, I don't know, Troy the same with blonde hair, that could be um, the biggest thing of the season other than playoffs. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That, that would be something, you know. Okay, and so going on, so the team, uh, the teams decide to kneel for 15 seconds um, as a as their campaign stance for United Against Racism. Um, I thought it was cool that there was a variance to how they did it because I think that you know obviously teams could still do the seven minutes and the eight forty six. And what I have seen in watching matches is that some teams really don't get to the center circle at seven minutes. They get there almost near eight minutes. And so I'm like, well, you know, I don't know how effective it is if you're not really making the time. Do you know what I mean? And so for them to do 15 seconds prior to really starting the match, you know, it's it's a little different. Maybe it's eight and seven. Maybe that's how they did it. But it was at least something that they both came to it was a way to do it maybe respectfully. I mean, that's just my take on it. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I thought it was more like of a respecting and doing it before. And I honestly thought that when they did it before, it was better in a sort of way because um, you like get your point out there and it's, um then the national anthem plays and you're also stating your point with that with what they're doing so i just think it's a perfect fit doing it before the match yeah for sure and i didn't even think about it you just said that they kind of were doing it kind of off to the side so that that is a little different i'd kind of be interested to know like you know if you know if that was something kind of accepted up there you know in harriman utah if you know if there's something that they were all about I haven't seen matches where monarchs played where they were at center circle or if it's all just kind of been on the side more or less so just you know I mean it's kind of you know neither here nor there but I, I just wonder sometimes you know because as we're seeing things like the NFL you got teams still in the locker room and you know teams doing things together it's like crowd reaction sometimes plays a part right mm-hmm. yeah it does so then the team came out this week this last week in a three, four, three lineup, Um, you know, and again, this is like a season where we're really seeing Troy um, jump into other things. I was really excited to be honest um, that we have not only seen four, four twos. We really haven't seen four, four twos. We've seen four, two, three ones and three, four threes this year. Um, What did you think about United coming out in a three, four, three, against real monarchs did you think that that particular formation um would be a good match based on how we've played them before which i believe has been a 3-4-3 um or did you expect to see more of a uh 4-2-3-1 this week no i after what happened with the match before that against el paso um i expected the the three four three. Even though <laughs> I was kind of concerned with Suggs being up on the middle instead of the back line, 
that always concerns me and I feel like that doesn't really play out well but you know this time around it seems like it's working for us and we should stick to what we know and not do the 4231 because I feel like with the 4231 we kind of tend to struggle a little bit more with that lineup and what I also liked about this lineup was uh, Tete finally getting a start in the back line. So I felt like that was much stronger, too. Yeah, that was definitely a, a stronger look. Um, what did you think about Suggs? I know you said that you you uh, we were just talking about you were talking about Suggs playing in the middle. Now, do you like the idea that Suggs would be in the middle so that he could track back uh, to the back line as kind of the fourth man and also be um, a distributor in the attack. Do you like that look or do you like subs kind of coming from the back and having the ability to just charge forward all the way? I personally like Suggs coming from the back and then going up as he creates plays in the middle. I feel like he's kind of everywhere and going too much up top or he sometimes he gets just sucked in the back and then we don't see him up top. And it's to me, it's like a little bit confusing. And that's why I kind of prefer him more in the back line because it seems like he flows better in that position than he does as a wing. Right, right. Now, I was just, uh, while you were talking, I was just looking up previous lineups that we've had against Real Monarchs. Um, the first time we played them, we were in a 3-4-3. This was the 2-0 win that we had. Um, this was the lineup where it was a Wednesday night. So Chris Weehan sat the bench that night, and we had uh, Alain V. Parks, Estrada as the, as the top three, Bruce Williams, Muhammad Najem in the middle, and then Yearwood, Ryden, Hamilton uh, in the back. Um, that one we won 2-0. And then the one where we won 2-1 on Saturday, we were in a 4-2-3-1. That was uh, Sandoval up top, Bruce, Weehan, Moreno across uh, the, the middle under him with Guzman, Tanari, and then, of course, the back line was Suggs, Tete, Ryden, and Muhammad. Um, and so, of course, this match that we just played uh, was <clears throat> Yearwood, Ryden, Tete in the back as we were just talking. Suggs, Guzman, Tanari, Najem, and then, of course, Weehan, Sandoval, and Moreno. I was a little concerned about that formation um, given the fact that I felt like we didn't have Devin at the very top like we would in a 4-2-3-1 and you know as of late I think since not having Devin in you know I thought having him in you know he would kind of be like the Christmas tree topper you know what I mean kind of like the main mm -hmm. target to go in and be able to kind of help distribute the ball um, now of course like with this being as such we know Devin could still obviously get in behind and kind of be um, a bit of a target um, of course that isn't necessarily kind of how it went in this match um, so what did you think kind of about the setup up top with Parks uh, Weehan and Moreno I mean what did you what were you hoping for in this match I I was kind of hoping you know what 
what actually happened, you know, Moreno and Weehan working together, those two, when they work together, is phenomenal. They execute, and it's just, they're unstoppable. And to me, I just, with Parks there, it it's kind of like a hit or miss because even though he creates so many chances, like I said, it's the finishing where it kind of gets him, and he tries and he tries and he tries, but, you know, eventually they're going to start going in and we're all going to get excited, but, you know, it, he just probably needs more time on the pitch to get more practice and more of that confidence to, you know, play as well as Chris Weehan up top or even Devin Sandoval. Yeah, I definitely want to see Parks get more comfortable. And I know it's crazy to be 12 matches into a season and still kind of saying that. Because, I mean, I, I think Parks, um, I, I think really, like, we just have to change maybe our perspective on Parks a little bit, you know, because we obviously still want to see Parks score goals and and perform backflips. And, and, you know, that's something that I think we can still see. I mean, four more matches in the regular season – now we know that there's going to be playoffs. So I think that something that's been great about Parks it has been his hold-up play, his ability to be big and be, you know, kind of a big body, kind of dig in and kind of create uh, different opportunities. Of course, you know, some of the downside has just been him not being able to finish opportunities. But, I mean... All, all things considered, you know, I, I feel like there's more to it. And, you know, I probably couldn't speak to 100% of why it's not a more fluid year for him, considering, you know, what he's what what he's brought to the team from the different squads he's been on. And maybe there's still moments that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I just think he it's what we're waiting for is just that moment right now and he hasn't found it yet and it's just a matter of patiently waiting and honestly right now is a perfect time knowing that we're not doing a play-in game and we already clinched it's a perfect time to you know uh to get put on the lineup and get more comfortable yeah definitely so <clears throat> so earlier in the match um, Chris Weehan takes a corner kick. Um, Devin's his only target, and it wasn't necessarily successful. Um, the the thing here is that, you know, it's like, you know, when we have Weehan taking these corner kicks, which, you know, I know between him and Tanari most of the season, that has been a thing, but, you know, we don't really have an advantage as far as having tall players in there to really you know, benefit from, from uh, headed balls into the net. Um, so this is often times why it seems like we, we opt for the short corners. Like, you know, what else do you think United can do? I mean, if they don't have guys like Sammy Sergi and Romeo Parks in um, early into matches when, you know, I mean, because how could they really plan for corners? It's just they don't already have that sort of height in, the, in there on the, on the team. Yeah, that's where we kind of 
struggle too with the height and also last season too it was height and right now our tallest player I believe is Keelan Ryden he's a defender and he can't always be in the corner kicks because you never know what can happen when that ball gets kicked out of the in out of the box into our defensive third he has to rush all the way back there and it's also dangerous for Cody to come out that far out and it's not like we have these tall players like El Paso has Omar Salgado, who's like freaking eight feet tall and he can get ahead on the ball. And um, it's just something that we have to work on on the corners. And our best bet is not getting, he- um, you know, not getting the head on the ball. It- it's going to be mostly the dribbling in and the, the through passes through all the defenders. Yeah. I mean, you said it, I mean, it- a lot of it at times is going to be uh, we're looking for those short passes. We're looking for um, different ways to get, to get it in. I mean, honestly, like I, I hope to see more creativity um, between we you know, on the corners and maybe they have another target man who can kind of take it, you know, on the roll. Cause it, it really doesn't benefit us to get as much service into the box. I mean, that's why we often see a lot of those scuttle scuttle balls in there, you know, and, and, you know, as just, as you were saying earlier, it's like, you know, this is one of those things that kind of goes on the Christmas list, you know, for, for like a next season kind of thing is like, you know, can we get a little bit of height, um, you know, on the roster because that's just something we don't have. And so, you know, rather than sitting in and, always complaining about it you know it's like we hope that the team obviously exercises other ways to to still strike on their attack um so then this kind of brought me into like something else um earlier on in the program and much throughout the 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 match um and we're probably fortunate for this but since there weren't as many fans in the stadium uh we could hear troy lassane uh, head head coach and technical director Troy Lassane essentially just uh, barking cadence uh, at his players, um, telling them to like take the space and to to not foul and to to run and not jog and just about everything um, that 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 you normally get from like parents on a sideline and youth sports, if not the coach. Um, and again, like, you know, we know it's because the mics are present, but, uh, what, when you're hearing Troy just kind of going off like that, I mean, how do you think the players are receiving it and what benefit do you, uh, kind of see from Troy being like a 12th man and kind of being their extra eye out there? I think it's what, uh, you know, good technical directors do. They, they're your 12th man. They tell you what to do. They look out for you. They have a better eye than you do because, you know, they're obviously on the sideline and they don't have, you know, defenders on them or they don't have the control of the ball and always looking at their feet and they're trying to look up at the same time. And I think it's personally great. I When I used to play, I liked when my coach would – keep an eye out for us and he would tell us you know man on do this do that you have a player wide open and that is what helps create plays and that is 
how you win games. You, with a good coach and also a good team with good chemistry and good communication, that is, that's jackpot right there. And, you know, of course we heard Troy drop some F-bombs, but you know, I mean, it is what it is. You're you're in the game. It's the heat of the moment. And I obviously, he wasn't offending anybody. He wasn't insulting anybody. It's just, it is how it is. And I really like how the players also receive his uh, direction. They don't obviously give attitude. They, they listen to him because they know they can trust him. And when a player trusts their coach and their coach trusts the player it's like i said you hit jackpot with the team right there yeah because you gotta hope that like players aren't hearing this call and then going into their own minds and being like i know man i know you know kind of like you know sometimes people take that differently that sort of that sort of um instruction and they they want to rebel or they want to do it their own way And, and for the most part we saw uh, United players, you know, taking up the commands and kind of, you know, changing their play. I thought it was beneficial because it seems like Troy was really trying to, um, he was really trying to sharpen their awareness. And, you know, he was really trying to kind of sculpt the product on the field. Because I, I thought if Troy didn't do those things, would United really be, would they be in the would they be in the places that they were according to like Troy barking out the commands? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, uh, so- no, I, I don't, I don't think they would be where they would be right now because they would be struggling. And, um, and if coach doesn't talk and then they don't really know what to do and, the team is trying to figure it out what they're doing wrong, but they don't know exactly what they're doing wrong because, you know, they don't have a third eye or a clone to like go to the sideline or get an aerial view of what's going on. And I, I just don't think if Troy wasn't the way he is right now, we probably wouldn't have clinched playoffs tonight. Yeah. I mean, cause, uh, to your point, um, what I was what I was getting around to is like Moreno had a shot on goal early in the match, seven minutes in, in fact. And, you know, to me, partly because of the fact that, you know, Troy was really kind of trying to keep them disciplined during the match. He made sure that, you know, that they didn't foul anyone during in transition of getting the ball, which we saw a lot in the midfield. Um, which you know in other matches, typically a lot of fouls we will concede in the midfield because we're trying to get that position and we'll tip- we'll typically, you know, we'll typically make a bad foul somewhere in there. And he really was, you know, telling them like no fouls, no fouls, no fouls. And then he was telling them to take their space and and um, you know, and I just tried to watch the match in that sort of view. And it seemed like because he was doing that, that's why you had Amondo, you know, playing the ball up high, you know, would, you know, the team maybe play a little slower or, you know, a little bit more lax and give Monarchs a little bit more time um, to kind of develop their own game because, you know, I mean, like sometimes that's the stubbornness of the players. 
And, uh, and I thought, you know, this was, this was obviously a, a sure testament of that. Yeah, definitely. You know, it, because of that, um, Armando was very, very dangerous on Saturday and I just can't wait to see how dangerous he's going to be this Saturday against Colorado Springs. Right, right. The one thing that was kind of crucial earlier in the match, and it kind of gave me like a little bit of that match PTSD, was uh, Yearwood cleared the ball uh, early on, and there was a ball coming in. It was off of a cross from the Monarchs. Yearwood comes in and kind of kicks it out of the way. I mean, obviously, Yearwood had a stellar day, don't get me wrong, but, you know, Mizell was obviously expecting to catch that one, and and I thought to myself, like, what's the communication looking like in the back line some? Because, you know, last week, obviously, Austin did his job. But, you know, it's not like, like you said, I think even on the last episode, a simple I got it, I got it would definitely obviously help, you know. But in the nick of things, you know, I mean, what, you know, like, could that create an issue uh, for United if it's just people coming in kind of doing things and not telling other people it's it's a huge issue not even a small issue it's going to be a huge issue if you don't start communicating it's very important to have a good communication with as a defender with your goalie because if you don't talk and you just stand there and kind of just look at each other it's going to cost you the game and with your wood not talking to Mizell, obviously you can see Mizell going for it and trying to catch it, but then Yearwood goes and kicks it, and Mizell's like, what the heck? Like, you know, if you see me doing this, you need to, like, stop. But also, you need to have the communication, and Cody needs to be like, you know, mine, 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 or I got it, or uh, push up, or something like that. Then Yearwood also needs to follow Cody's um whatever Cody is saying because for all we know Cody probably did say it was his and just Yearwood didn't listen to him and that's also an issue you have to really work well with each other in that back line because it is so dangerous and it costs you games yeah I definitely did not know where that ball was going I was just like please do not go in the net again um simply because like I said like you, you're coming in there and you're kicking a ball the way you don't know if you have all of it, you know, you hope you do, um, you know, as it, as it was. So back-to-back sequences, Moreno has two opportunities um, where he gets the ball kind of off the break, 16 minutes. Um, Moreno thought he was offside, but then he actually was onside um, and finishes his run. But of course there's no shot there. Two minutes later, um, Moreno has another breakaway, had his guy beat, but just no clear shot. And of course, that was a pass from Devin Sandoval. Um, so, I mean, overall, in the first 15 minutes, you have Moreno with like three different touches on the ball. And I, and I again, we attribute that obviously to Troy being very active, but I mean, also the players, you know, having some awareness and executing. Um, you know, just seeing Mondo, you know, having those three touches in the first 15 minutes. I mean, what did you think like Amando's day would probably look like on the score sheet? Oh, man. 
I, man, that would have been amazing if he would have gotten all of those in the back of the net. And, you know, everyone would start looking at him and teams would be, you know, we got to watch out for him. And in the next game, he probably would have been, you know, triple teamed or even quadruple teamed too. So, you know, even with those touches, it still makes him dangerous. And people are still looking out for him because they're thinking, He's that close, and the fact that he got that close, he could put it in. He could put it in any any minute, and it's just as soon as he gets the ball, you know he's gonna do something with it. Yeah. Now I didn't get this one recorded, but I know somewhere in the first, I feel like somewhere in that time as well, Chris Weehan also had gotten a ball out out front as well. And, and he had an opportunity, but was deemed to be offside. Um, I know we learned a little later into the match that uh, the switchbacks were kind of imploring a offside trap. Um, I kind of thought to myself once I had finally heard about that, like, I don't think New Mexico United is the team that you're really going to get the offside trap on because they're really smart about playing their routes out wide until they finally, you know, can play on. And I just thought that, you know, that trap didn't really work as well, considering the fact, I mean, in that time it worked obviously on Weehan, I should say, but I just thought it's going to be real hit or miss on whether or not the trap works because of the fact that how many times, you know, did our guys successfully uh, get through where they were onside? Yeah, sometimes that offside trap that uh, the defense line tries to pull, it usually works out, but sometimes it doesn't because then the other team starts to figure you out, and now they're always going to be onside. So when you see that you're with the last defender, and then you see that the other players tell them, like, hey, get in the line on so they could be offside, but then you see that and you move up with them. So it doesn't really tend to work out. But with us knowing that we could play to the outside and play it wider, sometimes we even get away with playing it in the middle in the box. But those are those are dangerous. But, you know, we can get it done. Right. So at the 20th, about the 20th minute, uh, Monarchs take a corner kick Um and what I noticed is that United wasn't uh, marking guys. Like, they were not man-marking, but they were in more of what they call zonal marking. So United players were basically lined up against the line on the six with Cody kind of behind them. And, um, and they basically, you know, to me, like, it looked like, okay, well, United's not necessarily – going to be able to do anything if any men, you know, break free at the top, you know, we would not be in a position to really touch them because we're playing this sort of zonal marking. But, um, and so it proved to be successful for United that that particular instance. And, um, you know, and then if you think about it, United really hasn't conceded on too many corners. Uh, they conceded against Phoenix um, and I believe El Paso as far as, the corner kicks were concerned. Um, but uh, so when it comes to zonal marking, I mean, like, what do you think about United using it? Because obviously it's proved to be successful. Players haven't necessarily been too busy 
in there except for El Paso when they stand in the gaps. You know, I think it's worked out well for us with the zonal marking instead of man-on-man uh, -on -man marking. I feel like with that, we could kind of see, you know, if plays can be made and then we step into it. I feel like that works better on us as corner kicks, especially that we don't have height on the team. Right, yeah. Because, I mean, like, Troy has to know, like, because we don't have uh, height on the team that it would not, it would, you know, it wouldn't help us to be, could you imagine that? It's like you have players kind of trying to break free, you know, trying to cover guys, you're going to get a mismatch somewhere, you know, and then that's the player that's going to ultimately, you know, obviously control it as we saw in Phoenix when a ball's coming in, it's served into the box, you know, and then it's just the taller guy who wasn't marked, you know, and, you know, I, I kind of asked about that in the press conference. I said, why, you know, do you favor zonal marking so much over man marking? And he just said, well, we haven't really conceded many goals, you know, and zonal marking for me to consider going to man marking. And then also he just kind of mentioned that, um, that, you know, zonal marking had been successful. It came down to individual players duels at that point, once the ball hit, you know, and they did not win their duels. So it comes down to ultimately what the players do once the ball is batted down. Now, can what we need to do, it seems like, is even though those balls aren't being conceded that way, we still just need to continue to make sure that that sort of marking is going to be successful for the team. Yeah, we do. And also what I've noticed is the back post. Uh, we tend to leave one defender wide open, and that's how we kind of tend to concede goals. I believe on one of the corner, the the corner kicks, I believe it was Jack Blake coming in from the back, and he had a, sh a clear shot on goal, and Cody blocked it, but it was still scary. And that's also how Maka King scored against us against El Paso. So that's something else you really need to watch is that defender on the second post or who else is there really needs to watch that player that's open in the back post because there it's very dangerous area to, to to get scored on right right so at 29 we get to a point where you know united's playing you know obviously there's a lot of play going on uh in the midfield and you know there there are some fouls that are being committed andrew tenari gets in um, under a guy tries to secure the ball and gets called, you know, obviously for a bad foul. Tonari then is frustrated and kicks the ball out, you know, and, and grabs a yellow. Um, and, you know, considering the fact that we have so many midfielders that are, that are getting yellow cards, I mean, you know, you know, how crucial is it for a player like Tonari um, to be just grabbing these yellows when, when they, when this something like this could have been avoided? Oh, man. Tanari has been getting yellows, I believe, almost every game. And that's scary because, as we know, uh, as soon as those yellow cards start accumulating, he can sit out games and he really needs to be on his best behavior from now on because we can't afford to have him sit out at a playoff game. Right, exactly. Well, especially we can't have him sit out against a team like El Paso when that when that match comes up. 
Oh, yeah, we, we cannot have anyone sit out for that game or be injured. Right, exactly. So then uh, moving forward, um, and I was I kind of listened to the broadcast. So, like, you know, there's just some things that were coming up for me when I was listening to this. But, like, you know, the broadcaster was kind of talking about Devin Sandoval, and he was just really – I don't know if you caught this, but he was really talking about um, – just kind of where is he? And he's one of the tall players. And, and you know, two of the three goals that he scored are, you know, from the penalty spot, um, you know. And it got me to think, like, do we want to see more trash goals from Devin? Do we want to see um, – what do we want to see Devin have more touches on the ball? Obviously, this means that, you know, the team probably wouldn't be as concise with their shots because – you know, these balls would have to be like second and third rebounds floating around there. I mean, that's sort of exchange that's there. Do you think that we're good on with the way Troy has the squad kind of taking high percentage shots? I think with what we're doing right now is working and we shouldn't change it. What Troy's doing with the high percentage shots and having us up there and doing the three, four, three and, moving Suggs up, even though I sometimes I don't agree with that. It's just working for us, and we should just stick to it and, you know, and finish the plays. Right. You're, probably, you're definitely probably right on that. Um, you know, <laughs> why, why fix it if it's not, it's not broken? So 40 minutes in, uh, Amando Moreno, the blonde bomber, uh, gets his first score of the day. Uh, Yearwood sees... Weehan flagging him from the side. Um, Weehan goes on a, ru- a run uh, up the right channel, I guess the closest side to the screen if you're watching it. Um, and, you know, Weehan looks to widen out to kind of stay on side. And then Weehan sends the ball up for a cross to which ultimately Amanda Moreno uh, slides in for the goal. Now, when I first watched this, I honestly wasn't sure to be excited or not because they didn't immediately, they awarded the goal and then, then all of a sudden they weren't sure. And then they were sure. And I mean, I had to watch it several times to try to figure out, you know, was Chris onside or not? I mean, what, what was your reaction to um, the run that we had made from when Austin kicked it? Like, did you, think it was onside from the get or did you kind of also think that maybe it was offside and we just got away with one no i i believed it was onside it was a dead on being with the last defender and i and then people were saying there was offside and it caught me and it got me second guessing myself and i went back and i rewatched it i rewatched it and i rewatched it and to, to me, every single time, it looks like it was onside. And as soon as he got that pass, you could see that Weehan was right in line with the with the last defender. And then that ball came, and then he the ball came down, he ran up, and he just beat the last defender. And it was an onside goal to me. And it's just, you know, people believe that it was offside, but, you know, if you if you beat out the defender before you get a touch on the ball, then that's the defender. You're not offside anymore because you made that run before you made that run after that pass was made, and it just it makes you onside. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of people get they get focused on the ball itself and where the where the player's at, and they're like, oh well, it's offside, and it's like, well, no, it's the the ball was made contact with before Chris breached the line. You know, he made yeah. he made he made the run as the ball had contact, so he just has good pace to to be able to break through the line, and that that makes a player onside. You know, now it- the camp. Go ahead. Oh, no, exactly. And also, too, the defender chased Chris down, so he was onside the whole time. Exactly, because the defender kind of towed the line, you know, mm-hmm. so ultimately he kind of created that sort of expanse. And and the camera angles don't help because I feel like sometimes they're shooting these cameras or they're shooting the TV with, like, this sort of a 360 lens, so it kind of – you see the ball kind of bow out at a weird angle sometimes the way the TV – picks it up, you know, these ca- the camera angles and whatnot. And, but to that, to that point, I know the commentary was like, Oh, he's like eight yards in the, in, in the front. I'm like, it looks like that, but he really just got that much pace after the ball has touched the ground. You know, he's just chasing it down at this point. Um, yeah. Good. Oh no. Yeah. I, I was just going to agree with you. Exactly. It's just how he paced himself. He watched the pass and, you know, he was, there right there at the perfect time and like I said or like you were saying earlier sorry about the offside trap and he figured it out and you know it, it's just what happens when you try something and it just doesn't work yeah and I mean we saw that like the trap was not fully efficient for them and it and it kind of threw our players off too because they didn't know if they were on or off I mean as we were kind of saying moments ago like there were times where Mondo thought he was offside and then there was no whistle. So he just kept the run going. And, you know, maybe, you know, if there was, you know, and that's just because the trap could happen so quick, you know? Um, So then going forward, um, we're looking at, I was saying at the 44 minute, Austin heads heads a ball out, you know, obviously another clearance. This is like another instance where I think it seemed like maybe Austin just kind of, you know, Yearwood just kind of stepped in and kind of made another clearance. And maybe that was another shot where Cody was behind him. Um, at the 45 minute mark, there was another corner taken. Uh, we see more zonal marking for United again. No, uh, no clear player on the man marking though. This corner was a little scary uh, because the fact that the ball had taken a weird bounce. And I think the United players were trying not to touch it. They were trying not to get, a handball, but there was argue, there was at least five or six defenders and midfielders around this ball, and one Monarch player just trying to kick it in. It looked like it was going to be a near score, but United was ultimately able to hold them off and get to the half with a one nil lead. Um, how did you kind of feel that first half went for United? I felt like it went really well. There were some things we still kind of need to needed to work on, but other than that, it we looked well. We were high pressuring right off of the bat, and we weren't kind of playing kickball where we just kick it and then it goes to the other team and they then they do the same. And this time we actually had full control of our passes and we we looked good and. Also, it was nice to see Guzman out there. Like I said, he was sort of a missing piece that we needed for El Paso. So I kind of felt like with him being back, it 
made the the midfield a stronger with him and Tanari. Right, yeah. And I was actually looking up the yellow card count, um, as you had mentioned, both of our uh, our midfielders there. Uh, they're both currently sitting with four yellow cards, Tanari and Guzman. I thought it was more than that. Um, it They may have had good behavior to get the cards off. Oh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, so currently they're showing uh, four yellow cards each. Um, and then Mizell showing three. So, you know, how that goes. But um, so then coming into the second half of the match, um, right off of the bat at 48 minutes, Weehan gets another look at goal. But again, he's offside. More of the offside trap being implored. 50 minutes goes around. Cody has his big save against Sierra Kowski um, in the top corner. That was definitely one of Monarch's um, kind of threats to us to try to uh, bring the lead even. Um, what did you th- think of that save that Cody made? Because it, it definitely was one where he, if he was off, it was going in. Man, that was an incredible save by Cody. I I was like, whoa. And it was such a good save. And he read it perfectly and... You know, like you said, if like by an inch he missed that, that that ball was going in. Right. And then a few minutes later, um, United gets a scare. Uh, 54 minutes, Sam Brown uh, for Monarchs gets a turnover and he sends the ball up to Julian Vasquez. Vasquez um, is pretty much chasing down the ball as Cody comes up off his line. And Vasquez slides in, it seems. He wasn't going to kick it. I think he maybe tried to slide in, hopefully, and maintain a possession. But it looks like Mizell gets hit in the knee as well. Vasquez ultimately shown a yellow, but Mizell's down for like four or five minutes. Um, I thought that we might have saw, saw Philip Beigel as he was kind of warming up during a little bit of the, the dead time. Uh, did you think that Cody was out at this point or – um, were you confident that, you know, he was going to be able to pull through? He was down for quite a bit, and I was worried that he was going to walk off and we would have seen uh, Philip in there. But, you know, I saw Philip warming up um, as quickly as he could and trying to get in some touches before he got in there. But, you know, after I believe, like, it felt like a long time, like a good four or five minutes that Cody was down. And... It, it was scary, and um, I I noticed that after, I don't know if you noticed too, when he was taking the goal kicks, that he kind of, he kind of, like, how do you say this? I kind of winced at the, with the pain after he kicked, and that's what kind of made me worried that he should have sat out instead so he doesn't hurt his hamstring or his quad anymore before this week's game. Yeah, it's kind of definitely like a plot twist. I thought if Bible went in, you know, we would have finally got to see him, you know, because obviously we haven't really seen him um, in action other than, you know, warming up last year during that Cardiff City match. Um, you know, you know, and it, it kind of makes me wonder if we may see him in the next four matches. Um, to be completely honest, like, 
I don't think we need to. Like, I think he just needs to be the backup as long as Cody is good to go. Um, and, you know, and, and that's just me. Um, but it definitely, uh, I definitely did kind of worry if Cody was going to be good. I asked actually in today's press conference how Cody was, if, you know, if, if, if the knock was worse than it seemed. And, and Troy answered that, uh, that his rehabilitation, uh, can, uh, his rehabilitation uh, comprised of holding his baby um, during rehab and, uh, and he, and he appears to be good. So, um, you know, so I guess there's nothing to necessarily worry about. Cody is, uh, is strong. Maybe he's drank his milk and, uh, and his bones are, are good. So um, 65 minutes uh, in or in at this point at 65 minute mark, uh, Moreno, the blonde bomber, scores again, right? Like now he's got a brace on the day. Uh, Weehan ships a ball ahead to Moreno. Uh, that looked to be a little bit of uh, a dispossession of the Monarchs. Weehan kicks it from center circle. Moreno's still on and then manages to get out front. He has the ball for what looks to be like, I don't know, 10 yards before he, you know, comes up on Monarchs goalkeeper, dances around him and then puts in like the easy goal for a 2-0 lead. So at this point, uh, Moreno's got a brace. I think that's the most for any United player this season in one match. Um, you know, how good do you think Moreno's feeling at this point um, to, to have doubled uh, his score on the day? And I mean, this is to consider the several chances he probably had before that. Oh, man, I felt like he was I think he felt like he was on top of the world and he he knew what he had an amazing game that day and he knew that if he kept it up he was it was just gonna repeat itself on other game days so I knew like for a fact he felt like he was on top of the world and also he you know kind of juked out um Ochoa and Ochoa's a he's a really good goalie from the Monarchs as we saw last season and it was just it was something that was really really cool to see right exactly so then Weehan also picks up two assists on the day as well uh to your to your point you made earlier uh in this episode you were talking about you know the combination between Weehan and and Amando Moreno and, and and really this game or this match kind of showed that sort of chemistry between the two players um how important is it for Weehan to still be kind of involved um, in the in the scoring of goals while he's not necessarily the one taking the shots? It's super important, too, because if you have a player who can score goals and also help create those chances for other players, it's, it's a win-win situation. And you can also rely on Weehan to pass the ball or – in some cases also, you know, take a shot on goal and knowing there's a 90% chance it's going to go to the back of the net. Right. So in the next, like, the next, uh, I don't know, between minute 67 and 80 minutes, nothing really major happens in the game other than the subs that we bring in. So we bring in uh, Muhammad and Daniel Bruce, or Salim Muhammad and Daniel Bruce uh, for David Najim and and uh Tanari and uh Andrew Tanari and we bring in um David Estrada and 
uh, Joris Alinvi for Chris Weehan and Moreno, which obviously they come out with this lead. And then we bring in uh, Parks for Sandoval. So these are like the sub- the subs, obviously, that we put into the match to kind of ride out the rest of the match. Um, was there anything in particular that you were um, – any any of the subs that you're particularly happy to see at this point with some, uh, you know, like – 30, 25, 30 minutes left in the match to go. I was happy to see Joris again. I've been wanting to see him again after his performance in OKC. And, you know, I was just happy to see him back. And I hopefully, you know, this time around, he gets more minutes on there because he's also one of those players that if you give him the opportunity, he's going to take advantage. And, and, and my follow-up question to that is like, you know, how happy are you when subs come in this year, I mean, like not necessarily to name any particular subs, but maybe, maybe so. But I mean, like I know last year when certain subs came in uh, on the pitch, you know, I maybe didn't maybe agree with it. I mean, I'll be the first one to out myself and say some of the times when Ethan Sampson came on, I didn't think it was a great call because I thought that Ethan Sampson was a great defender stationary, but I thought that, Anytime you had Ethan Sampson playing in a, in a back position and there was a player he was defending who had pace, he was getting burned. And I never agreed with those calls. But this year, you know, we don't really have any subs that I go, mm, why'd you do that, Troy? Yeah, I I agree with you there, too. I'm also going to out myself. I didn't ag- agree with the most of the subs last season and just like you were saying, Chris, uh, um, with Ethan Sampson, I, if you watched him he, like uh, on the pitch and you were close to like the front row of the curse or whatever, you can see that he would get kind of beat because he was more flat-footed than being on his toes when it came to the running and when he was, you know, there trying to defend. And that's where it got scary too. So now looking at this season and knowing the talent that we have on the bench and knowing also that we've seen these players play in previous matches and we know they can do what the starters can do and it's just it's kind of comforting knowing that we have good subs on the bench this season and you know especially Estrada he was there last season but as soon as he comes off of the bench this season, he's amazing. And I believe he started, no, I can't remember if he started for the El Paso match, but he got a goal and it yeah, could have easily, he could have easily been a Mondo's, that could have easily been a Mondo's goal, but he passed it to Estrada because he trusted him. And I feel like last season, we didn't have that trust on the subs like we do this year. Right, and, and to your to your point, I think even some of the guys that we've grown to love on the team really grew and stepped up. Like in my mind, I always seem to the the word your yearwood two point always sticks out in my mind because Austin Yearwood has so much. He had so many instances where he needed to play in in the back line uh, last year, and I, I thought he did a good job. But I mean, by far this year, he is he is. A, a more improved player, which I'm sure he would even probably agree with as he's come into the system more. 
But like even players like Daniel Bruce or like David Estrada, you know, David Estrada would come in sometimes during the match when we were up one nil and maybe he would come in for a score or Troy would sub out other attackers. And it was like, okay, we're going to try to hold this one nil lead and bring in a bunch of players to kind of change the tempo. But we're playing against teams like Phoenix, if you will, that get hot in the 70th minute, you know, and all of a sudden all of your attackers are out, you know, so that changes the dynamic, you know, we're probably also very much lucky to have five subs this year in, for decisions made like that, that we can, you know, kind of keep ourselves from, you know, if you look at the way the subs are, I mean, between 60 and 80 is where the subs happen, right? So typically like Troy's kind of holding on to these decisions until he's in a sure position. And I think that definitely is a big improvement from last year. Yeah, it, it really is such a big improvement from last year. So then towards towards the end of the match, really there was nothing else to me that I think really stuck out. Um, like, again, the last thing I, I would pinpoint is it's just Troy just telling Suggs, Suggs to, to get back in and not to jog. And, and, and Troy was just speeding up the game even at 83 minutes when the team was up 2-0. Still very crucial for the team to finish up strong. But again, nothing really else really stood out to me for the most part. I think the team did a good job in securing the clean sheet uh, for for Cody Mizell, um, which was definitely a great, great thing to see. And I, I was kind of looking at, um, I, ha- I had pulled up some stats that I guess have gotten away f- from me for the most part, but um, it, was a, it was definitely a very good day for, United as far as um, as far as this match was concerned um, I will pull it up just to read a couple of numbers that we always seem to center around um, just so you get an idea if you're the listener you know why I would say I think they're good numbers um, we already know that United isn't going to be taking a whole volume a high volume of shots that's not something that United does um, you know, and, and to that point, you know, I was talking to Troy today in the press conference and he said that he cares a whole lot about efficiency. It matters to him. And ultimately that, you know, he would rather the players take, you know, concise shots. You know, he is more happy if the team takes eight shots, has five on target and gets two goals in a match to him. You know, that's a good day for United because obviously they're not just throwing around a lot of shots to no avail. I mean, so looking at this match from a team perspective, United has two goals. They have nine shots, six on target. They're shooting 66%, okay? Whereas Real Monarchs, they had 12 shots on the mat on the day. They had one on target, and, and they're basically shooting 8.3 accuracy, yeah, they're shooting five from outside and seven from inside, so they're getting a couple different angles on United. United only had their nine shots inside the box, which, to me, that is uh, that that is a better chance for the scoreline to be a little bit higher. They didn't shoot from outside the box, which is is very interesting. Yeah, I think with us, it just works better if we shoot inside of the box. And with Moreno, um, the chances that 
he had at the beginning of the match, they were all from inside the box. So you know that's what tends to work well for us. Right. So so switching up, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the match tonight between Colorado and El Paso. Um, El Paso did end up beating Colorado uh, 2-1 um, in, in full time. And really, I want to ask you, like, just any particular moments in the match um, that you thought maybe Colorado looked dangerous or maybe some things that, you know, could be kind of a concern as we're kind of going a little bit into the preview portion of this weekend. Man, I think Colorado started to look dangerous after Omar Salgado, you know, he hit that ball into the back post um, and Melvin was trying to come out and block it with his feet. That's when I felt like Colorado woke up and I was like, well, where were you this whole game? And that's when they started creating more chances and going into the attacking third and getting some pretty good shots on Ketterer. And um, Aiden Daniels, he didn't really stand out to me like I wanted. Like, I wanted him to in this match, but it just kind of seemed like he wasn't doing much. Yeah, um, some of the things I kind of noticed in this match. So Colorado Springs came out in a 3-4-3 uh, formation and El Paso obviously came out in their 4-4-2 diamond which we typically see them play um, it seemed like Colorado Springs kind of brought their heavy hitters in this match and I feel like they're probably going to do that in the next match as well against New Mexico but they brought out uh, George Labisi, uh, Aiden Daniels and Christian Valeski at the top three I thought the only thing that was bad about them putting their heavy hitters in at the top of the match, especially because El Paso didn't have Salgado or Aaron Gomez in at the top of the half, is that they were going to run these players either a full 70 minutes, maybe more, but if they didn't get the most out of them, then they were going to be kind of in a dangerous position. Um, some of the things that I kind of noticed about this match, you know, from a Colorado Springs standpoint, because that's that is our, our, our main concern from this particular part is Colorado Springs, like their, their middle third, um, really their positions were really weak. And it seemed like they created so many turnovers um, for themselves tonight. And also it seemed like the thing that, El- that Colorado did um, the best probably was just putting their body out there and just creating a lot of blocks. And, and I don't know how much of that was skill or some of it was just flinching, but for the most part, it just seemed like they created the issue and they seemed to kind of hold off El Paso um, during like the first 20 to 40 minutes of the match. Yeah. It seemed like they were doing pretty well defensively, but you know, it's just, I kind of felt like they got tired towards the second half and they there's really nothing they could do much and then they took out Valeski they took out Libisi they kept in Kurimoto but I he can't do everything just like Aiden Daniels right because because even like because I mean the 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 thought I had in the first half was Colorado's not facing the most dangerous parts of of El Paso just yet like they had in like 
their their back line and of course their their mid middle third, but they didn't have in that that attacking portion and 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 we did get to see um, obviously uh, Leandro Carrijo and like uh, and 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 Saeed Robinson, but a lot of it was them trying to find chemistry. So I think that Colorado kind of got they kind of got an easy streak, like in the first, first half, um, they managed to keep El Paso nil, nil, like through that first period. And I, and I kind of thought, well, okay, well maybe we might see a draw, but then right into the second half, um, Colorado goes down a man. And I'm interested at this point to see how they're going to play with 10 men against El Paso. Um, and, uh, and, and, El Paso manages the score uh, during this time when Colorado Springs is down to 10 men. Uh, there was a corner kick taken. Uh, Colorado Springs was actually doing man marking on the corners against El Paso, which to me, I thought I was interested to see them, uh, how they would mark the corner. But it seemed like that left some space open when they were man marking. Yeah, it. Yeah, it was kind of weird to see that they're, that they're like, not their starters, kind of like what we did with um, with the Monarchs on that Wednesday night where we didn't have our starters starting and we had them on the bench and then they came in a little bit later. But, you know, it's probably the same thing, you know, resting up for Saturday. But, you know, what it's hard because if they would have lost, they wouldn't have clinched the the playoff spot El Paso and they would have had to win on Saturday. But if it was kind of a smart thing, yet kind of not what uh, the coach was trying to do, but it, it ended up working out. Right. So now 70 minutes. So it's, it's, it's two or where is it? Okay, so then Omar Salgado obviously gets a goal. Um, typically, he so at 70 minutes, um, Salgado gets his, gets a goal. And then basically, he takes the left wing and just fans this, like, screaming ball pass. Uh, Sean Melvin just has no sort of chance whatsoever. Um, the thing that I was kind of seeing just before Salgado scored this goal is that Colorado really didn't have any sort of attack. They had four guys in the six yard or outside the six, six yard box into the 18. And they were just kind of standing around. Meanwhile, there was a player just trying to continue to distribute the ball to find chances. But I thought, you know, if Colorado does not move around, um, they're not really going to create any chances for themselves. And, and, you know, that's something I think that is new because typically Colorado is shooting a lot from the outside and they were forced to try to do something inside the box. And I thought that they were very unsuccessful until the 80th minute where you said they get a goal. I mean, Colorado Springs manages to put across across the six and then, uh, and then they are able to win their duels and then put the ball in. So then Colorado Springs starts to look a little dangerous in the 80th minute. Um, at this point, I'm thinking, okay, well, Springs is very dangerous, you know, and uh, and for the most part, I mean, honestly, like, 
for that last 20 minutes, it just seemed like because they were not able to finish their chances in El Paso, it definitely gave them several opportunities. Um, you know, I mean, Springs just kind of went down in that in that flame. Yeah, they they had several opportunities, and then well, as you were saying, when Omar Salgado came in, the game kind of changed, and they started relying on him more, and we saw him more, and it was it was really a really crazy game to see, and it you know like the I don't know if you heard like, the commentators, but it was a very nail biting game there at the like the last twenty minutes of that match. Yeah, Ketterer was uh, Logan Ketterer for El Paso, the goalkeeper. He was definitely getting a little upset at his guys for not really kind of containing or sealing out um, Colorado Springs. There were definitely some instances where he seemed like he was very pissed, um, you know, that kind of stuck out to me. Um, so Colorado Springs loses this match, and obviously they're out of contention for trying to earn a playoff berth. Um, some of the numbers that I kind of pinpointed about Colorado Springs um, as we kind of think about going into this into this weekend is um, Colorado Springs didn't have a lot of possession against El Paso, though it seemed like they had several touches on the ball. They only had 32% possession, and it maybe seemed like they had it more often than not, um, but they didn't do much with it. Um, yet they were very defensive-minded, obviously getting 14 interceptions. Um, Colorado managed to – they managed to have four corners and hold El Paso to no corners, and I think that that is key because they're obviously not – giving away possessions uh, in, in very crucial areas. And we saw that a little bit with Colorado Springs in the 70, 70th and 80th minute where they are basically doing touch passes back and forth to each other. And I'll be honest, Alicia, uh, when they were just doing those little touch passes in their defensive third with El Paso kind of coming in and pressing them, I thought, what are you doing? Like you're about to give up another score. You need to kick it away. And, I mean, surprisingly, they were able to um, have successful passes in there, and ultimately they were able to create more chances. And that kind of goes to say that, you know, that, I mean, a team even like El Paso couldn't really stop that. That, that I thought, was maybe something that was, that was credible to their name. Yeah, I... I agree with you there, too. It was scary to see that, and it just seemed like, you know, whatever. If you get another score, like, it's over. Like, this game is done, and they weren't really trying at that point. Yeah, now, and I don't want to discredit Colorado Springs, obviously, because the last match we played them, we ended in a draw, and, you know, they certainly did contain New Mexico United to two shots on the day. So they definitely are very dangerous and can uh, get that confidence. They will more likely have that confidence based on the last match. I'm sure it's going to seem like a sugar rush for them. Um, other things that are just notable, uh, Colorado Springs only had 198 passes on the day, uh, whereas El Paso had 430. To me, that sticks out as a very, uh, dis as a big disparity between the two teams, just because that means that they just really, you know, they, they didn't really execute in distribution much, much whatsoever. Um, El, uh, Colorado Springs was limited to two shots, whereas El Paso had 11 and 11 is a team. And El Paso is a team that takes usually like 20 shots a match. So 
you know, maybe at some point El Paso stopped shooting because they didn't need to, or really it was um, Colorado sliding in or, you know, their goalkeeper getting off the line and making some key, key stops. I think a little bit of both really. Um, but really to kind of transition out of this, um, I was, I had pulled up uh, really quickly the player stats uh, for Colorado, just looking individually, you know, we typically like to look at Labisi, Bolesky, and uh, Aiden Daniels, and I mean, really, like they didn't, they were they were held to no shots on the match. Um, Aiden Daniels had a successful cross. Um, Labisi had an unsuccessful cross, um, and Daniels created one chance. And, and really, the only person who scored was Mamandi Kamara, um, who ultimately gets the shot on target as well. Um, so this is a day where really no one on uh, – no none of the main uh, forwards for Colorado Springs um, get any quality touches. And uh, what is it going to look like for United, really, um, come Saturday to be able to create kind of the same effect for Colorado Springs? Um, I believe that we should stick to the lineup we had against Real Monarchs. Real Monarchs, the the three four three formation, you know, kind of keep the same players in there. And if we do what we did on Saturday, I believe we can walk away with the win. I think it's going to be key, definitely. In addition to that, to really see United, like you said, like kind of keep some of they. To me, what sticks out of my mind is they got to make sure that they track back fast and that they play the ball high and take their space, as Troy Lassane had put it in the last match. You know, and we we know we count on him shouting. It's going to obviously be a little harder, maybe, for him to to uh, communicate that with all the amounts of United fans that are going up to Colorado Springs. Um, but for the most part, we hope that the players are able to obviously internalize those things because, I mean, to me, like, they have a real shot to convincingly beat Colorado Springs I, more than what I think I saw tonight. And um, and so, uh, to me, I think that those are going to be the key things. I think United, the only way I see United, like, not getting a result or drawing with Colorado Springs is to simply not uh, to not play as aggressive on the ball or to allow Springs to have space outside the 18 because that's where they're dangerous with the crosses, um, the shots outside. I think if they can take that vantage point away um, and make Colorado take shots on the inside, then they're 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 more likely to. Um, shut down Colorado, they're more likely to ultimately get the balls and, and turn opportunities. And and a big thing is going to be uh, keeping possession on clearances. Yeah, that and that and also other uh, art defenders communicating with Cody so we don't have any more mistakes or, you know, those nail-biting moments where we're like, well, that could have happened or, like, what are you doing? Yeah, definitely. I think that we definitely need to disrupt Colorado Springs. Um, that's going to come from the middle. I don't, I, I wonder if we'll see Tanari and Guzman in with four cards. Um, that's kind of a question I have. 
um, just because obviously when they get that fifth, the next match they're out. Um, so I, I wonder if we'll see them this weekend or if coach will, or if he'll just put them in and, you know, hopefully just kind of tell them, Hey, don't get any fouls. So that way uh, a card will fall off. Yeah. I, I think we'll, we'll see them. I don't have a, a doubt in that. Right on, right on. So then we get to a part where we have now kind of addressed Colorado Springs um, and we get to our favorite part, which is uh, score predictions. Man, man, man. I don't know. I I want to go with the 2-0, but my gut is telling me we're going to concede a goal with the 2-1 win. Okay, okay. I feel like... The energy is going to be there. I'm feeling confident with a 3-1 victory. Okay. That, I can see that happening. Um, I would say I think Amando Moreno gets a goal. Weehan returns to scoring, and maybe even Romeo Parks gets the third one. No, I think it's going to be Amando and Dev. Okay. All right, so then there you have it. So then the last bit of news tonight um, is that, uh, so we obviously watched this happen. We knew that, you know, obviously, uh, I knew that the the rival pod, Seriously Loco, was on Twitter and that they were, they were biting, uh, how do I put it? They were chomping at the bit to see if Real Monarch uh, was going to lose tonight because since Colorado Springs had lost, that had, been that's half of the picture they needed real monarchs to also lose to clinch playoffs but what i noticed is that um that with monarchs losing tonight as well it was going to help new mexico clinch as well uh being that both united and el paso el paso at 24 points with 12 games played uh new mexico at 23 points with 12 games played uh, Real Monarchs had 10 points and and this they're playing this 12th match. And if they lost, then that meant that they could only earn 12 points from their remaining four matches, meaning that 22 points was the most they can get. Real Monarchs, when I tuned in, it was like 1-1, or it became 1-1 uh, at some point. And, uh, and then Portland went up 2-1. And, you know, Portland is the team that has not really won very many games this year, but they won the game that we were most concerned about, I would think. So then, obviously, Portland wins 2-1, United clinches playoffs, and here we go. Like, before we even get to Saturday, New Mexico United is going to the playoffs. What what was your reaction, like, when when that happened? Like, what were your, your first, like, I don't know, eight words in your mind? I... To be honest, I had no idea. I got the tweets and I was like, well, what account is this? Because it was the X and the Dash and then New Mexico United. And I'm like, well, who am I following? Did they change their name? And I go and click on there. It's like, oh, my God, we clinched playoffs. And, like, I don't see anyone talking about it. And I went on Facebook and, like, no one was talking about it. And I'm like, what is going on? But then I went on Twitter and that's where everything was. And I'm like, it's because the Brown Monarchs lost, we were able to clinch playoffs. And 
it was a like really good feeling, like I said, knowing we didn't have to struggle for points anymore. Yeah, definitely. And my thought, I was like, I was kind of seeing at the top of this, this pod is I was refreshing the screen. I was like, I know, I'm, I know we're right, but you know, it's that, it's that thing when you're like in school and you know, cause you're in school, but like when you, you, you feel like you did really good on a, a test, like you're almost positive. You did really good. And you know, you answered all the questions, but you're still waiting for like the actual like score to come out. to make it all official. And, and I, and I must've refreshed the screen several times and I was like, okay, come on. Like, this has got to go a little bit faster. This has got to go a little bit faster. They were so quick to like address the teams that were eliminated. And then finally it happened. Like, and of course I saw El Paso clinch first and I was like, stop it. Like show us ours too at the same time. You know, it was like, it literally was like siblings fighting, right? Like siblings getting toys. Like, could you imagine like big brother, like big brother gets a toy and then, you know, you're like, okay, where's mine? Because, like, we're, we're brothers. Like, you, you got to always buy two toys, right? So, like, so once we both get the X's, I'm like, all right, cool. Like, things are good again. So, um, so that's kind of like, that was kind of like the synopsis of my reaction. I was so stoked. I was like, I'm going to pop a beer. We're going to have this awesome podcast. And, you know, we're just going to, we're going to enjoy this moment. Obviously, the team still got more to do. They got to four, play four more matches and hopefully they can get the top seed. Yeah, we definitely got to knock El Paso out of the the number one spot at the table because we all know they don't deserve to be on there. Right. So that brings me to a couple of questions I got for you. Obviously, like, we don't have the answers to these questions, but I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, so here's my thought. Okay, so we got four matches left. We know that we need to win out, right? We know that we need to win. We need to win the other matches that that aren't the El Paso matches. So that's three matches. And then obviously the El Paso match could be the one that ultimately gives us the top position if something doesn't happen sooner. You know what I mean? With teams losing the other matches. Um, so that being said, like I was looking at the schedules uh, and I want to, you know, and obviously, like, get your take on it. So, New Mexico has four matches, of, as I mentioned. We have the match this Saturday against Colorado Springs. Then on the 23rd, we play Rio Grande Valley. Um, the 26th, we play El Paso. And then the tw- and the 30th, we play uh, Real Monarchs. El Paso has Real Monarchs this weekend. They have us on the 26th and then they have Colorado Springs on the 30th and then Real Monarchs on the on the 4th. So their match with us is their second match of four and our match with them is the third match of four. Um, so a little bit of an overlap. Um, I personally think that it's going to come down to the match between the teams, but do you have any reservations that that certain matches could be challenging for either team? Mm, with us, I, in all honesty, I just see the most important one, you could say, is the one where we play El Paso, because that can go either way, and we've seen it. And with the other ones, they're pretty much winnable games for the for the rest of the teams, but 
with El Paso, I can also see the Real Monarchs being an issue for them, knowing how, like, kind of they collided after um, Colorado Springs scored tonight. So I have a feeling that the Real Monarchs can be an issue for them. Okay, okay. So then that brought me to my next question for you. Um, How important is it for us to take the home match out of El Paso? Mm, I think it would be better because from what I've seen, El Paso has been having a lot of home matches. They're getting advantage of their field. They're getting comfortable and we need to take them out of there and, you know, use that to our advantage. And let's say if, if we can't play here and somehow we could pull it off and play in Colorado Springs, you know, elevation too. So elevation is going to kill El Paso. Right. Yeah. I think it's going to be critical to know, you know, whether or not Peter makes the move to move it to, to Colorado Springs. Um, on the broadcast tonight with Real Monarch in Portland, they made it seem like that last match was going to be in Real Monarchs or was going to be up in Utah again, like another away match as the home. Yeah, I could I could see that. You know, I don't think we're going to get a game here whatsoever this season. Do you, you – yeah, because it's like it's like a Wednesday match, so they're probably thinking like there's no point in putting that one in Colorado Springs. Yeah. So then, RGV, obviously a Wednesday match as well, a home match for United. Do you think they play that in RGV, or do you think they opt to play it somewhere close like uh, Colorado Springs, just for the sake of? the travel and I don't even I don't know if that's necessarily something they can do I have I'd have to look at the schedule but do you think they at least try to put it somewhere if they can no they're gonna play an RGV I like that's 100% in my gut right now that that home game is gonna turn into an away game yeah and plus they get to see Ron Patel um shout out to him um they play on a soccer specific pitch you know obviously he's a He's a friend, so, you know, that's probably, like, something they would do, right? Yeah, definitely. And I wouldn't – and also, like, if Ron – also, he came from over here, and he's going to try to do the best to accommodate not only themselves but also us. Right, right. So so that's kind of, like, where we stand this week. Um, I know you said you're going up uh, to watch the match in person. I'll be up there as well um, at Phil level. So we'll both be there um, and we'll, we'll have some seek and strike stickers as well. Um, I know I'll, I'll load you up with some, so we'll have some of those. So if you see Alicia or you see myself, um, definitely hit us up if we don't hit you up and, uh, and you know, and that's pretty much it. Alicia, do you have any, any closing words, anything you want to say before we end it for tonight? Um, I cannot wait to see everyone on Saturday. You know, let's make it a home game as much as we can, especially for the newbies. I know they're excited to finally get to play in front of us, even though it's somewhat of a thousand people, not our 15,000, but, you know, it's something. And also safe travels to everyone who goes. Right on. And where can people find you on the internet? 
You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at exclusive underscore Alicia. And on Facebook, you can find me under Alicia Arias. Right on. You guys can find me under uh, by Chris Walker on Twitter and Instagram um, and Christopher and Walker on Facebook. And we want to give a special shout out or shout out uh, to our new subscriber, Brick by Brick 505 on Twitter. He was hitting up New Mexico United today, wanting to know about New Mexico United podcast. And United kicked the assist our way, and uh, and we got a new subscriber. So we want to give you a shout-out, Brick by Brick, Brick 505. Uh, we're glad to have you listening, and we hope you enjoy all the episodes from this point forward as well as old episodes. And uh, you've been listening to another episode of We Are Seeking Strike podcast. For me and Alicia, we are out. We will see You've been listening to We Are Seek and Strike podcast, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find more USL-related podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. To never miss new content, consider subscribing wherever you get your podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Seek and Strike Collective. Lastly, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.